So hi everyone, this is Sarah from Myash. Thank you for joining the webinar today. The topic today is Psychosocial DX, Identifying Invisible 45003 Factors. It is going to be presented by Penny Pierce and Mark Wright from FIFO Consulting. Just with all the webinars, remember you can check them on the um, HSEQ Academy homepage that shows upcoming webinars and past webinars too. So um, first of all, Penny Pierce is with FIFO. She's an experienced health and safety expert with proven records in the initiation, development and execution of strategic well-being, health and safety initiatives. Penny has a degree in psychology and a breadth of industry experience, including health and aged care, retail, banking and finance, fast food and manufacturing. Um, I think a lot of you will already know Mark, right? His, um, presented quite a few very, very informative webinars with us. He's a trusted risk health and safety professional committed to preventing harm and enabling high levels of performance. Mark is the Managing Director of FIFO Consulting and the Health and Safety Index. And I can see you're here, Mark. Hi, Penny. Penny, you are muted, by the way. You might want to just unmute that. And um, uh, hi, Mark. G'day, Sarah. Thanks for having us. No problem. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Mark. Hi, everyone. Great, thank you. So um, Penny's going to be controlling the slides today. So Penny, if you wouldn't mind just moving on to the, the, ne the next slide and we can introduce our organisation. So um, FIFO Consulting, we've got a range of different consultants across Australia, working predominantly across Australia and New Zealand. Um, a lot of our work um, really stems around helping organisations better understand risk health and safety solutions. Penny's actually joined us a few weeks ago now, um, based in Melbourne, and that's really based on the demand that we're getting around this particular topic at the moment. And you know, one of the things we're really clear on is to play within our, our swim lanes and make sure that we're you know, delivering services that are in line with our capability. Um, I'm not a psychologist, I don't have a psychology background, um, and that's why we lean on people like Penny and some of our partners um, to provide that level of advice where needed. Um, so look, uh, apart from the consulting services we provide, we've also got a health and safety index with a range of different surveys and we can talk about that a little bit later today. So as we start thinking about psychosocial factors, um, I guess today Penny's going to be outlining some expectations, um, particularly around some regulatory changes. We'll try not to go into too much detail there because I'm mindful that um, there's been a fair bit of communication and um, information circulated around uh, what's changed recently already. So we want to focus a little bit more on what options organisations have to actually implement some of those changes. Um, as we start um, to outline some of the psychosocial regulatory expectations, we'll overlay that with some principles around risk management. Now, we, we don't want to sort of dumb that down too much, but I do think it's important to get back to basics, um, particularly as you start to apply risk management to an area like psychosocial factors that sometimes can be a little bit grey. Um, and then we'll go in to talk a little bit more around the psychosocial DX survey we have um, and share some benchmark learning along with some resources. So over to you, Penny. Sorry, as a quick icebreaker, and thank you, Mark and Sarah. We like to ask the group 
a quick question. Are surveys on their own an adequate method of completing a psychosocial risk assessment? Um, now you have two options to choose from, yes or no. Go ahead and uh, choose your pick. Thanks, Penny. We'll just give that a few more seconds because um, I think people um, are very quick in their answer for this one. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. So there is a poll. I can see some people are also using the chat there too, which is fine. Okay, let's show those results. Wow, I am very surprised to see this result. What about you, Mark? Oh, look, well, to be honest, I didn't have too many expectations. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy to hear your view there too, um, Penny. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys for uh, voting. Um, I guess we could first of all take a look at the scope and definition um, for those that have just joined us. Um, survey is a unilateral way of collecting, collecting data, as we know, and it will be ideal to supplement your risk assessment. Um, it is a great tool to help your organization to benchmark and understand if they're performing better or worse off. Um, for most of us there are on this call, there are health and safety professionals, we would know that psychosocial risk assessment is a great um, undertaking to help us, you know, risk and hazard identify. It is underpinned by the ISO 31000 risk management um, framework to help us assess, control and review the effect effectiveness. Um, and one thing I really like about this process is um, it is overlaid by regular consultation with your workforce. Um, so for those that had voted yes, there is really no right or wrong answer. Um, although we've got 97% of our audience saying no, um, we think it really comes down to a multitude of factors and interdependencies, such as you know, your organization's risk profile, risk appetite, organizational size and so forth. Um, generally speaking, businesses that have inherently higher people risk would prefer doing a comprehensive psychosocial risk assessment, um, as well as considering other internal factors like incident hazard reports, employee survey, workers' compensation matrix, HR matrix, um, committee consultation and so forth. Um, thank you. Now we move on to the next slide. Um, I thought let's start off with um, the genesis of the regulatory changes, um, although we do bear in mind that we don't want to go into too much of the legal land or legal speak. Um, but as most of us are aware, in the Work Health and Safety and Occupational Health and Safety Act, um, as an employer, we must provide and maintain a workplace, um, including our independent contractors that is safe and without risk to health um, so far as is reasonably practicable. Um, however, it is quite unclear to most of us on the how. It was also pointed out in the Boland report published in um, 2018 that many employers and workers had expressed that they are still unclear about how to best address the psychosocial risk um, and health factors and had asked for more prescription and guidance on um, helping them to identify, manage um, the recent hazards related to psychosocial. Um, over the past decade, as uh, fellow health and safety professionals will point out, there has been a steep increase in psycho psychological health issues and a decrease in the rate of physical workplace injuries, 
which further shines a light on the importance of clarifying the duty imposed on us as employers with regards to psychological safety. Um, as most of us would know, in the last 12 months, um, most states have implemented the um, psychosocial risk regulations, uh, with the exception of Northern Territory, which will be happening in July this year, um, which is very exciting. Um, but this is still currently pending in Victoria. So over here on this slide, you would be able to see that um, there are more and more practical resources made available um, to support employers such as uh, the ISO 45003, uh, which is a global standard on managing psychological health in the workplace. And then we have in the middle, the Safe Work Australia model code, uh, which is around managing psychosocial hazards at work. Um, this was developed through a tripartite process with the Commonwealth, state and territory governments, uh, employers and workers rep. Um, Safe Work Australia is an Australian government statutory body um, that is responsible for developing policy, but they do not regulate the work health and safety laws. Um, and this is because over here to my right, uh, you would see that each state jurisdiction governs their own um, work health and safety laws, respectively. With all these fantastic resources made available, I thought, why not, let's do a comparison of the two um, um, framework. So the first thing that we look at is what is the key emphasis and what is the unique um, differentiation point between the two. So with ISO 45003, it has more of a system-based approach to help integrate psychosocial risk management into um, your organization's existing work health and safety and occupational health and safety management system. Um, so as we just called out, it is very much a system focus um, and it looks at the um, process of planning, doing, checking and acting, so taking action. Um, with the ISO 45003, it looks at psychosocial hazards such as trauma, emotional demands, burnouts and um, the promotion of empathetic leadership. Um, it also provides more comprehensive definitions around the well-being aspect, the physical, mental, social, and cognitive health. And over here to my right, we have the model code of practice developed by Safe Work Australia. Um, it is um, quite obvious that this code has more of a human rights-based approach as it promotes supported decision-making. Um, the code lands itself on the component of explaining the controls. Um, it has more of a risk management focus. Um, it looks at psychosocial hazards such as job satisfaction, staff engagement, productivity, team cohesiveness, and job security. Um, I hope that explains or that gives you a bit of an idea around the uh, differentiation or the focuses of the two. If we move on to the next slide, let's talk about the risk management framework. So in the context of ISO 31000, um, the risk management framework can be applied when you undertake a psychosocial risk assessment. Um, 
Every year, the FIFA Health and Safety Index reviews and benchmark data, which I believe Mark will be taking you through in um, a greater level detail, which is great, um, where it looks at the trends, hotspots, and insights to share learnings. Um, psychosocial risk can be assessed from various levels, and you know, context is really, really critical. Um, you know, some of the factors that you should consider when you um, undertake a psychosocial risk assessment are things like the level of maturity of the business, um, are there any business pressures, the type of your business, your risk profile, and so forth. Um, so here's, um, here's a play of word. Where do you want to play? I'll hand this over to Mark as he will take you through a very interesting poll. Yep, so um, before that poll comes up, um, <clears throat> there, Penny, I might just explain some of the principles around, I guess, what we're trying to, to ask. So um, Penny made a really good point around context. So um, as indicated in, I guess, some of our other webinars and the work that we've done, we're really um, cognizant that a one-size-fits-all doesn't always apply to every organisation. So, you know, from a sole trader uh, SME all the way through to large corporates in leading industries, um, each organisation industry might take a, a different approach depending on that, their context. So if you go to the next slide there, Penny, just to bring up, um, I guess, the concept around different um, bandings, um, what we often ask organisations before we commence this kind of work, um, be it around psychosocial risk or critical control management, um, et cetera, is you know, where do you actually want to play? What what level of sophistication are you aiming for? Um, because depending on your the complexity, the resources, uh, the buy-in for your organisation, that, that could quite differ. Um, and you can burn a lot of resources very quickly if you're trying to crack a nut with a sledgehammer. Um, to support that, we then help organisations try and rate their performance in their respective bandings, um, typically through to, from low through to high performance, uh, with the understanding that it's okay to be the number one. Um, if you're um, just starting out or if you've got um, different competing business needs, um, reaching basic conformance or basic compliance is absolutely fine, um, depending on the, the context of your organisation. So with that in mind, um, Penny, if you wouldn't mind going to the, the next slide there, I think that might be the poll. There we go. So um, appreciate this is not an exact science um, and just a, an indicator, but from one to five um, in your organisation, where do you believe your organisation wants to be? Um, one, basic conforming, which is fine, all the way through to, to being um, recognised industry as you know, leading practice through different innovations, etc. So if you wouldn't mind just selecting one to five, it'd just be interesting to understand where people are trying to pitch um, some of their work around psychosocial factors. Okay, we'll just give it a few more seconds. Okay, um, Penny and Mark, you do know you're also Penny today oh really <laughs> yeah he always wants to be a penny <laughs> all right here's the results 
Alrighty, so um, smack bang in the middle, um, number three, 40% um, is the, the largest score, and it's it's a pretty even spread by the looks of it, um, ranging from seven through 10% at one, three, 40%, number four, 26%, and five at 18. So, you know, about 20% of the people on the call are really aiming for leading best practice, which is great, um, but the bulk of people on the, on the call are are somewhere between the, the three and the five. So um, I guess with that in mind, what we'll do today is just share some principles around, well, depending on the level of maturity, there are different options out there to complete risk assessments. Um, so next slide there, Penny, if you wouldn't mind. Um, okay. So we're going to overlay some of these conversations um, uh, around psychosocial risk with the, the risk management standard that Penny alluded to before. So. We spoke about context. Um, now we're talking through the, the risk assessment component of a typical um, risk assessment or, or risk management practices more broadly. Um, when Penny brought up the, the, the previous slide, um, she referred to the standard, um, but also um, I guess it's worth noting here that what we're focusing on here is a, a bit of an emphasis on process, risk process. Um, as we think about psychosocial risk, it's more, more more than just process. You know, it's it's people, it's it's the workplace environment, um, it's plant equipment materials, a whole bunch of different things to consider. Um, clearly, we don't have a huge amount of time today, so we're just going to focus on the process side of the the risk equation. Um, so on the slide here, um, we've got various assessment options organisations might wish to use. So. Um, now, even if we can compare completing a psychosocial risk assessment versus an ergonomic risk assessment or um, some sort of assessment on occupational hygiene or some other um, health and safety matter, people on the call might appreciate you can do a quite a simple broad brush assessment um, depending on what you're trying to achieve and document that either as a risk assessment or include that in a risk register. Um, and for some organisations, that might be fine. Um, as organisations start to mature and want to sort of scratch um, the surface a little bit more and truly understand some of those job demands, uh, job resources and the impact having on, on their workers, um, obviously a broad brush risk assessment isn't really going to cut it. Um, and given that a lot of these risks are invisible, um, delving in using surveys or reviewing data and things like um, those things that Penny spoke about, engaging your workforce through focus groups, um, looking at some specific org design or broader org design or more specifically job design. There are a whole range of different assessment techniques organisations can use to delve in to better understand um, some of these psychosocial factors, which for many organisations are invisible until you actually engage the workforce in an effective way. Um, now, if we if we think about the the principles around risk, obviously you want to overlay um, that assessment with some sort of risk management tool. Some organisations um, may develop something bespoke just for this particular subject areas. Others I've seen just use their, their WHS risk assessment tools and it just uh, adapt them accordingly um, to suit. So, you know, typically in organisations around risk process, there's risk registers, there's safe work, better statements and take fives, et cetera. Um, 
Now, all those tools may not necessarily lend itself for, for doing a psychosocial risk assessment, but it, they can be adapted to, to support um, at least um, some of the management principles that we've spoken about here. Penny, is there anything else that you want to add there? Um, absolutely. I'm echoing with your points there, um, Mark. It really is, um, there isn't a one size fit all solution. It's really horses for courses. Like, for example, you know, if you're a sole trader, it wouldn't make much practical sense to conduct a focus group. So, um, back to your point, it is really about um, understanding where you are and where you want to take your organization um, to. Um, that's probably the point I wanted to make. So Penny, you also alluded previously um, around that initial poll around, you know, is a, a survey in itself an adequate risk assessment? Um, so typically, um, not always, but typically, surveys are a great way to identify hazards, assess exposure, um, um, particularly around this subject area um, in terms of, um, you know, the responses that you're getting. Now, depending on how that survey is designed, some surveys um, do ask um, around consequence, severity or outcomes. Um, we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I guess what typically surveys don't provide uh, are controls or treatment, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. So um, in, in terms of treatment, or some people like to use the word control, depending on how this standard's applied, the controls um, in this particular area, um, depending on the level of sophistication, um, can, can range from um, looking at things like um, reactive responses when things go wrong, uh, prevention and promotion or thriving um, along that continuum, depending on what your focus is. Um, when we um, work with organisations to um, complete these assessments. Um, we get people like Penny and Marina who, who works with us, who have um, um, professional qualifications in psychology to help interpret the information um, and run these focus groups in a meaningful way um, to better understand some of these factors and better interpret how they can be applied. So I'm not suggesting for a second that everyone needs to engage um, a psychologist um, or someone with a psychology or, or psych background, um, but as you do um, go down the path and move up the maturity curve, increasingly the importance of having the right expertise to interpret this information becomes increasingly important. Um, there are a couple of questions that are um, in the, the poll too. Um, Penny, I'm not sure if you can see those, but at some point in time when Either if it's got a break, we might circle back and have a look at those questions either as we go through or, or at the end of the, the presentation as well. Sounds good. So moving on um, around the psychosocial DX, um, we'll, we'll share some um, benchmark data in a second, but before I do that, I'll, I'll just quickly explain, um, I guess, the principles are, are, are around the survey. Now, We've got a range of different surveys that we do use, ranging from both health and safety diagnostic surveys um, through to more specifically wellbeing and, and, and psychosocial factors. Um, and we use the principles that we spoke about before in terms of um, assessing performance from low through to high performance. Um, and then we present that information back in a meaningful way. 
So if you go on to the next slide there, Penny, um, the Psychosocial DX is a tool that's been developed to align with the factors outlined in ISO 45003. Um, and then in a similar way to our health and safety surveys, we provide an overarching performance um, as indicated by the Speedo. And then we break the, the results down into various dimensions based on psychosocial factors, typical psychosocial factors, um, and aspects around organisational factors, social factors, work environment act, and, uh, and activity. So all those inputs um, around practices, systems, behaviours and observations people provide feedback on, um, uh, um, I guess, pull together as a, an overarching result. Um, so both those inputs and then the outputs provide a bit of a score around well, what's the, the, the impact that's having. So um, based on those job demands, job resource style questions, or what's the impact on the worker and the outcome. Um, so we look at um, the, the severity around the impact on sleep, on pain, job burnout, et cetera. So that lends itself a little bit more to looking at the consequence and impact that it has on individuals. So in terms of um, various heat maps, you can see here there's a, um, a spider graph if you, that sort of delves into a little bit more detail around some of the, the dimensions that we have. Um, but we can sort of go through that in a little bit more detail if need, by, need be, Penny. I'm going to the next slide, mindful of time. Um, so this, uh, the previous was the spider graph breaking up our dimensions. This is more of a heat map and you can see here quite quickly um, that the um, various dimensions um, aligned with those job demand, job resource model um, can be broken down based on demographic data in your organisation. So we design surveys with specific demographic data based on location or business unit. Um, and then we try and identify focus areas, both good or bad. Um, and quickly you can see where hotspots are um, and where you can then focus your resources accordingly and adapt the strategy to suit. So just um, now tying that back to what we spoke about before, um, using the job demand resource model, um, we can help organisations and organisations might wish to, to use a similar approach themselves around understanding both likelihood and consequence and then potential uh, treatment options. Um, as part of all of our surveys, we have what we call levers for action. Um, now they're indicators of where to focus um, based on a whole bunch of correlated stats. This is just a quick example. Based on our 12 levers, this organization had two particular levers of focus around change management and job control. Um, and you can see the corresponding questions and results there. Um, and that's all cascades up into um, providing organisations a bit of an indicator of where to act and improve. So in simple, just to, to wrap up, um, be it the use of this particular survey or any other survey you wish to use, um, typically organisations collect the data, analyse it and then visualise it in a meaningful way. Um, and then 
um, ideally then engaging the workforce based on those results to come up with um, a, a meaningful assessment um, and actions to improve to support any sort of organisational risk assessment. Um, for those people who want more information, there's a QR code on the screen. Otherwise, we can share some more resources at a later stage. So talking about resources, um, some free resources people might wish to use. We recently published our health and safety index benchmark data. So um, you can either click on that link um, when the presentation's um, circulated. Um, alternatively, just go to our website and check out our blog. Um, there's a few learnings there around um, some of the top levers to improve based on thousands of responses of survey data. Um, Penny made mention of the differences between the model code and the code of practice, uh, sorry, the, the ISO standard and the model code. So we've got a, a detailed breakdown of that on our website too. You can download a, a guide. Um, and we're also always open to having a conversation around demos or helping out where needed. So um, just having a look at the time there, um, I tried on midday, so we've zipped through that relatively quickly. Um, might just take a bit of time there to go through some of the questions. Penny, do you have any um, questions there that you think might be worth responding to? Um, there is a question from Craig um, asking if you have a checklist for non-for-profits in aged care and disability. Um, Craig will love to support and understand your need uh, better. Um, could you please drop us a note at info at fifo.com.au and we'll um, give you a bus to understand and support. Lisa's asking, is there a simple process for risk assessment in the back of, uh, sorry, there is a simple risk assessment process in the back of the, the code of practice, which is great. I think we only have two questions. Um, and the there's another one, sorry, just on the, in the Q&A panel. Stephen asks, any indication when Victoria will enact its regulations? That is a million dollar question. Um, initially, we were advised that um, by quarter three, um, we will hear from the regulator. Um, but at this stage, that timeframe has been removed from the official website. So it will be very much a um, let's wait and see sort of um, yeah, exercise. Yeah, interestingly, Victoria has taken a bit of different different approach to um, Penny, um, particularly around the reporting of notifiable incidents. Um, I'm not across the jury detail, but based on that conversation we had yesterday, Penny, I think we both agreed that it seemed a little bit... Uh, onerous on the employer. <laughs> potentially even could drive the wrong behaviour. Um, but again, we'll see what Victoria come up with before we make too, too many uh, speculations there. Someone else has asked around um, internal consistency and reliability. So um, with all of our surveys, we run um, independent reviews to test both the reliability and validity of our surveys. Um, we, we do have um, a very strong um, opinion on the importance of statistical reliability because that underpins the, um, I guess, quality of our benchmark data um, to, for organisations to compare their results over time, both internally and, and externally as well. Do we have more questions, Sarah? 
Uh, no, nothing from this end. So um, I think we can wrap this up and uh, just know that we will send out this recording and any links you want to send me, Penny, if you can email them to me and I'll pop them in that page as well. Will do. So um, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Penny, once again. Hang on, one more question. Um, <laughs> Jeanette asks, what size organisation do you need to get statistically meaningful results? Okay, so the population size um, is usually overlaid with the participation rates and the statistical reliability of the survey itself. So um, those three factors are key. With the health and safety index or the health and safety DX, tool as an example the the reliability is up around the 0.9 so you know we're pretty confident if you've got some really high levels of participation um you're going to have um i mean for around 100 to 300 people you're going to have some very high confidence intervals to give you a pretty comfortable level of reliability um, but again it depends on the survey you're using um, some surveys that are developed on the back of a coaster in a pub um, may not necessarily have the same level of reliability. So um, it's courses for courses. Michelle's got another one. No, just a few thank yous there. <laughs> Lots of thank yous. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I think we're there. So thank you guys and thanks everyone for turning up and um, this continuing continually learning. So um, great. Thank you, everyone. See Thank ya. you, Sarah. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Bye.